Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. Oh, what a week, right? I mean, oh, that sums it up for me. I don't know about you. I have been just feeling heavy hearted. Um, it's 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 intense. There's so much going on. Uh, I don't know about you. Um, I've been speaking to hundreds of people over the last couple of days who are really struggling. And um, it's a lot of us that are deconstructing, a lot of us that are going through a lot of these um, spiritual evolutions um, have changed a lot politically, have changed um, a lot in our outlook in life, how we frame the world, how we see the world, but the people around us haven't. Um, and uh, this has been quite a wake-up call of just how many people around us um, do feel differently, do feel, um, yeah, uh, have a very different way of seeing the world and, and operating. Um, there's all kinds of labels and things that you can put on that. I'll, I'll leave you to figure out what you want to label that. Um, but the world is just so, so divisive. I mean, it's, it's still lost in this dualism and us and them and all of this stuff. Um, it's still trying to protect its own against any above any others and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's just a hard thing to be processing, um, especially when you fall on the other. Um, and I know a lot of you, as you deconstruct, you get that, right? Because you've gone from being in the us to suddenly being in the them. Um, and you add a whole bunch of other categories that a lot of people fall into. I know a lot of you out there are LGBTQ+, some of you are um, you know, bi, uh, black, indigenous, uh, people of color. Um, there's so many ways that you may be falling into the other camp right now, um, regardless of where you're at and, and how you voted. There's a lot of that going on and um, that can be painful, that can hurt. And, and the wake up call that half of your country feels differently than you do, regardless again of how you vote. The other half of the country feel passionately the other way. Um, and, and that's that's a wake up call, that, that, that hurts, that's heavy. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry um, that's going on. I'm, I'm sorry that the world is so divisive. I'm sorry that we're so fixated on um, ourselves above other people. We, we want the best for us and ours and um, not for anyone else. We want to get what we deserve, but ensure that no one else gets anything that they don't deserve. Um, all that kind of stuff that's going on. Um, yeah, it, it takes it takes growth, it takes change, it takes in a level of enlightenment, a waking up to, to realize that that's not the best way, that there's, there is a better way. And it's really, really frustrating to see just how many people have still yet to grow up. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We will get there. If you, just if there's any encouragement, it's look at, all that we've done in the last four years, which have been, wow, something. You know, they have been something. And yet we have awakened a whole new level of anti-racism in, in, in the world. You know, all over the world sparked a movement of people awakened to the fact that they were implicitly racist and then they wanted to become explicitly anti-racist. Um, look at the, the movements with the world, women's marches all over the world, with climate change marches all over the world. Like people are waking up um, and and the truth is whatever the outcome, and right now it's still uncertain, um, whatever the outcome in the Senate, in the House, in the, in the White House, um, change happens because of people. It doesn't actually happen because of one president, 
or a couple of senators. Sure, they, they do make changes and some of the changes can be horrific, awful, terrible. I do not want to mitigate how many people fall in those margins and suffer hugely. Um, and, that, and that's what we're fighting for, right? And, and that's what we do. But when it doesn't work, we grieve, we suffer, we hurt, we process, we do all we need to do. And then we get up and we start marching again and we start voting and we start running for local office. We start changing how we live. We start putting pressure on businesses to act differently. We, we do what needs to be done to change the world. And, and we will change the world. The world is getting to be a better place. I know that maybe the last few years, that's not been as evident. But if you can, yeah, somehow disconnect from all the craziness, the, the anxiety, the panic, the, the stress, um, the pain, the suffering, if you can take a step back and, and just look at data, this is a, a blip in the radar um, of the last hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years where the world has been getting better and better and better. We are growing in more love and inclusivity and grace. And the truth is that that is the direction people grow in. I know it feels like there's a lot of people that aren't moving in that, but the truth is they never were. Um, and maybe this is part of their journey of waking up. They have to fully engage with all that is not those things before they can really wake up. Anyway, that's enough rambling for me. I just wanted to uh, share some of what's on my heart. Um, I hope you're all right. I really do. I've been talking to people all day for a couple of days now, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you. Um, and it's it's encouraged me. It's given my heart a bit of a lift. And hopefully it's been helping some of you guys. If you need someone to process with, if you need someone to talk to, I know a lot of you, because of your deconstruction, you're surrounded by people that it's not safe to process where you're at and, and just to openly talk about what's going on. Um, if you need that, please send me a message on Instagram. I'd love to chat with you. Um, I'm just Phil Drysdale. All right, let's dive into this episode. And this is a kind of maybe ironic, um, but this week episode, I'm talking to, uh, this was recorded a long time uh, before, uh, Nicole Watson. And Nicole Watson is, quote unquote, the life snatcher. And she is a suicide prevention superwoman. Um she is just a, a guru, all things, um, yeah, suicide. And like I said, maybe that's ironic. I hope none of you are in that place. And if you are, please, please reach out to Nicole, reach out to someone um, and, and get some help, talk to some friends, talk to people. Um, but uh, Nicole and I are going to talk about a whole host of really great stuff. Um, we're going to talk about suicide. We're going to talk about mental health and how the church and Christianity interweaves with those topics, maybe how it doesn't do as well, maybe how some of the theology can cause a lot of those issues. Um, so yeah, I'd encourage you um, to really engage with this. If this is something that you're really struggling with right now, a lot of mental health issues, if you're feeling um, suicidal, gosh, contact someone, like I said, get in touch with someone, get some help. But Give this a listen while you're on it. Um, hope you enjoy this. I really enjoyed our conversation. Nicole is a legend. And so let's dive in. It is fantastic to have you on. I'm really excited. Um, a lot of my people following me probably are not that familiar with who you are. Um, I'm not that familiar with who you are. I've kind of like stalked you on Instagram and looked through your posts and, and, and love what you're doing. I only came across you just because you, you posted something that like it jumped out at me on one of my posts. And I was like, 
oh, that's really interesting. I wonder who this person is, what they're about. I clicked on you and I'm like, whoa, there's some really fascinating stuff here. This is great. And immediately kind of jumped on. Um, but do you want to give kind of like an overview of, of who you are and, and what you're doing in the world? So I'm Nicole Watson. I'm known as the Life Snatcher. Um, I'm a suicide prevention superwoman. So what I do is I talk people out of suicide, of course. I also create courses to help people find peace in the middle, because when it comes to suicide, a lot of people don't want to die. They just don't want their pain. You know, they don't want to keep living the same painful day over and over again. And so if I can get people to find peace in that middle place of I really don't want to live, but I really don't want to die. If I can bring you to a place of peace, then you will feel more empowered to speak up for yourself and to say, this is what I have going on. You know, so I do that. Then I also work with organizations and businesses to put strategies in place to make sure that people who are suicidal have resources to go to outside of the people that they deal with. So for example, if you're a pastor in a church, I get with you and I give you a whole strategy so that the people in your congregation know who to contact if they're suicidal because of domestic violence, if they're suicidal because of food insecurity, if they're suicidal because of mental illness, because there's many things that can cause people to be suicidal. So I'm pretty much an all around suicide prevention person um but my heart and my soul is in empowering people to speak up Mm -hmm. um because so many times people are silenced and people are made to feel like their struggle isn't a real struggle and so i want people to be able to be honest and to speak up for themselves and say this is where i am and then from there they'll get the help they need because they won't be in denial anymore that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. I, yeah. I love it. Um, and and so important, you know, like um, the, the, it feels like the, the world that I, I come from, this kind of Christian bubble, um, it feels like it is just as uh, rife, if not even more so sometimes with mental health issues, with different things like that. I mean, suicide is... Um, it, it feels like we don't go a couple of days without hearing about some uh, prominent Christian leader um, committing suicide of some sort. And, everyone, mm-hmm. and everyone's surprised by it. They're like, oh, my gosh, we never saw this coming. You know, even loved mm-hmm. ones and close people. Um, and maybe there's some, some dynamics in that where we put leaders on pedestals where they can't then tell mm-hmm. people that they're struggling. But just the whole concept of mental health um, is very stigmatized, in my experience, um, in a lot of Christianity. The, the, maybe in general, I think you look at people my parents' age or something, and, and mental health was always kind of a taboo, and going to therapy was something that, you know, all those weak people or, or you know, people that couldn't stick it or handle it or put a brave face on it or whatever. But it feels like that even today still kind of, it, it seems quite common in the church even mm-hmm. though much of the world has woken up to the importance of being aware of mental health, of talking about it, of finding helpful um, mechanisms in place. So I'm really fascinated. You talk about things like finding pastors, um, uh, support networks and things like that. I mean, I talk to pastors all the time about, um, you know, and I'm not a therapist. I'm immediately like, here's some people to check in with. Here's some therapy, you know, like go, right. go get trained professionals in this area Mm -hmm. but i I frequently end up talking to pastors that are going through things like this um and i'm intrigued do do you have thoughts on why it's such a prevalent thing in um in people of leadership and and in christianity or or what are some of the mechanisms that kind of 
cause it to become such a common thing within Christianity itself specifically? So I have two, I have two, two answers to that. When it comes to Christian leaders, I feel like Christian leaders um, carry a false burden. I'm not of the belief that Christian leaders are responsible for people's souls. That's not something I believe. I believe, I don't believe you're responsible for my life. I believe you're responsible for your specific role in my life. That's it. And so a lot of times Christian leaders take on this. I have to be a superhero. And if you mess up, I'm going to have to give an account to God. And it's like, no, you'll have to give an account to God for what you do. You don't have to give an account to God for what I do because you can't control what I do. I think that and also just the stigma of when you're in leadership, you're told stuff like, don't let the enemy see you sweat. And so even if you have a problem, you're less likely to reveal that you have a problem. And then even if you do reveal that you have a problem, you have people who are going to shame you. Well, where's your where's your faith? You're supposed to be a leader. You need to suck it up. You need to figure it out, you know. And so there's just so much just shame and stigma around people in general reaching out for help. But when it comes to people who are in leadership, there's such an unfair pressure that makes people feel like they have to be superhuman, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that contributes a lot. And then another thing that contributes a lot is that Sometimes Christian leaders can't be authentic. Meaning if you come to a point in your faith where you see a scripture differently, whether it's tithing, whether it's um, your know, sexuality, whether it's whatever it is, and you come to a new understanding of the word, right? If you're in a congregation that you depend on them to survive, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You can't always um, walk in the truth of how you feel about things. Because like, let's say you feel like you don't have to tithe. And if you don't tithe, you won't be cursed, right? So then you feel like, well, if I go and I preach this, people aren't going to give, and then I'm not going to have a salary, and I'm going to be homeless. And yeah. so yeah. you are living a double life because you you believe one thing but you preach another thing and so when that happens something has to break you you can't go on living that that double thing forever and then when it comes to church in general i think people have an abusive relationship with god um the way that god is portrayed is is just so it's it's from the lens of the colonizers, the people who said, I oversee you. And if you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm going to punish you. And that's the God that has been given to us. And so a lot of times when I talk to people who are suicidal, the first thing they say is, I don't know why God is so mad at me. I don't know why God keeps taking me through all this stuff. I've already shown God. Da, 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 da. And it's like, God isn't a mad scientist. God isn't sitting wherever like, oh, let me see if I do this, will they still say that I'm great? You know what I mean? And so just the false perception of God and 
the false perception of leadership responsibility, I think has got us into the place we're in. Wow. Yeah. Wow. There's, there's so much in that we could unpack. I mean, that's a lot of areas and a lot of stuff. Um, and, and yeah, I think you've, you've hit the hammer on uh, the nail on the head. Uh, don't hit the hammer. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it really does strike me as this impossible situation. I know I used to, when back in the day when I was more kind of, um, in the kind of Christian bubble and I'd speak in Christian churches when I travel, I'd, I'd meet so many different pastors and I'd end up like hanging out with them at lunches or staying in their homes and things. And you talk to so many of them and they're, they're describing that, that inauthentic place that they find themselves in. Um, and, and they find themselves, you know, they're, they're passionate about what they believe. And so obviously they're reading things, they're studying, they look into things. And then they are going to naturally, any t- anyone that's passionate about something and looks at it is going to change their mind occasionally. That's just mm-hmm. how we operate. We, we're coming to some new idea and go, oh, that's a better idea. It's a better way to put it. But then they're put in this conflict where they can't then present that information. They can't then even maybe live that out. Or if they do live it out, they have to live it out privately. They can't do it publicly. Um and, and like you said, that can result in a pastor who has no other real qualifications, maybe went straight from high school to mm-hmm. seminary to a as- youth pastor to associate pastor to senior pastor. And now they're making a good salary. They've got a big mortgage. They're married. They've got some kids. The kids are in school. They you need to pay the health care, whatever it is. And suddenly mm-hmm. it's, a, well, if I'm honest about this new idea I have, whatever it is, make, not whatever it is, because some are, you, know, you can change your mind on some things. Um, yes. but some things you know and if you're the pastor you really know what those things are if you cross that line you are done and it, it's, gonna it's be a over. big deal or it's, mm-hmm. a, it's, it's certainly a headache you know you're certainly going to have some really uncomfortable meetings and whatever mm-hmm. um that's a really horrible place to live i, I try i try and um remind people people that have come out of church and feel really um frustrated by that dynamic and, and can often project a lot of stuff and, and turn a lot of hatred onto pastors and people in leadership. I often try and remind them that they're part of a system that abuses them. You know, mm-hmm. it's, everyone's a victim in this dynamic. Now, Everyone. a lot of pastors are, are, are abusive people. I'm not taking mm-hmm. that off the table, mm-hmm. but a lot of the time I'm like, do you have any idea how shit that would be if you were a pastor and you're stuck in that situation? Cause I've oh. talked with pastors over lunch and they are like crying to me because they feel like they can't be themselves. Mm-hmm. And they can't really share what they want to believe. Or they're like, even if I, I, I want to get the church there, but I've got 200 people to change. And it's probably going to take eight years what it would take if I was trying to lead one person. It might take me five months, but I'm, I'm trying yeah. to bring a whole group of people. And that means eight years of not really being myself. Mm-hmm. And then by the time the eight years is up, they're a totally different person anyway, right? They're even yep. further along. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot to be kind of navigating do you think that's the sort of thing that someone can navigate? Can you live in that kind of tension of not being yourself, of, of not being authentic? Is that the sort of thing, if, if someone's in that position, do they just need to get out? Do they need to bite the bullet? Do they need to find an exit strategy? Or or can we live in those kind of situations of not being ourselves? I mean, I guess it depends on how you frame it. And what I mean by that is when you're a kindergarten teacher, you know that the characters in your book aren't real. You know that pigs don't fly. You know that mice don't talk. But if you have students who believe they do, and you have to teach them in the context of where they are, then that is very possible that you will be a teacher 
to teach people where they are and how to relate to God and how to navigate where they are. But the thing about that is you have to reframe it in your mind because there's a difference between I love my baby. My baby believes in the Easter bunny. So I'm going to roll with my baby and teach my baby lessons using the Easter bunny. There's a difference between that and I don't want to celebrate Easter and my baby does. And because I don't want to hear my baby crying, I'm going to just pretend that there's an Easter. Because one comes from a place of love and the other one comes from a place of let me just do what I got to do so that I don't have to hear somebody's mouth. You see what I'm saying? And so depending on where you fall, you know, are you the husband that buys your wife birthday gifts because you love her? Or are you the husband that buys your wife birthday gifts because you don't want to get fussed out on her birthday? Because depending on where your heart is and where your energy is with that, that's the outcome that you're going to get. So is it possible to say these 200 people here cognitively they don't grasp what I'm saying and I don't want to upset their lives and send them on a spiral. How do I navigate this? Okay, I'm going to I'm going to be in Rome and do as the Romans do. If you can do that and you come at it from a from a positive, I guess you could say, um, heart posture, I think it's I think it's possible. There are a lot of things I know about Christianity that I don't openly say. You know what I mean? Because I know that the people who follow me aren't there. And I know that if I tell them some of the stuff I know, they would be like, and they wouldn't be able to handle it because they haven't awakened to the level to be able to process what I'm saying. So a lot of stuff I keep to myself. I know it. But when I deal with them, I deal with them where they are. Mm. That's really, really good. I, I, I like that. I think that that's a very insightful concept of it's very much a place of um how we frame that and how we, mm-hmm. we i mean i guess most things in life are how what story we give them and what how we frame it um but i, I guess a big part um of this dynamic when i reflect on it might be um support networks as well a lot of people that are in leadership and i know for me when i was in church leadership and stuff you end up like in this bubble right every day is in the church every day is meeting with people from church um and there's this weird dynamic where all your your friends and your peers aren't friends or peers. They're kind of on some level with the system that they live in, that, that is is the way it is, they're below the, the, mm-hmm. the pastor or the leader. Now, a lot of pastors, I'm not saying pastors and leaders are lording it over people, but there's this, mm-hmm. this weird dynamic in play but that's just created by the system that says, I on some level am better, wiser, here to be your, your teacher, your answer person, um, I am going to be able to guide you, help you. And so even like a pastor being able to kick back and relax with his friends, there's some weird dynamic there where there's a hierarchy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know many pastors that have a good group of friends outside of their church where they have that hierarchy in place, you know, because they just don't have time. They don't have a way to meet new people. They don't, you know, have that dynamic. And I, I'm wondering... It, how because to me i would imagine and, I, and i've seen certainly in my own life my mental health is deeply like intrinsically interwoven with 
how well I'm doing in my community, how connected I feel with my community. I don't know if there is data on that. I've not explored that, but I know for me personally, I know for a lot of people in my life that that's definitely been a component for them anecdotally. Is that something that, that can be said quite, um, uh, kind of quite literally like it, it is essential to be having these components where maybe there isn't hierarchy. Maybe there isn't this kind of weird doubt, but there's just true friendship and, and community there. Is that something that's essential? And, Again, is that is that possible for people that are in leadership within churches that don't have these kind of, they don't get to escape the bubble? I think you need to intentionally have friends that's not in the church. And I know people push back on that with the whole, what fellowship have light with darkness or whatever, but you can be dark and be in the church. So, but um, I think people need friends. And when I say outside of the church, I mean, people that aren't in your specific thing. You know what I mean? You need friends outside of the bubble um, Mm. to be balanced. I also believe that inside of the bubble, you need to be able to be authentic. And if you can't find a circle in your bubble where you can be yourself, number one, that tells you a lot about your bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know furthermore we have the responsibility of building our own support systems we have the responsibility of making sure that we are surrounded by people who represent you know who we are and who represent where we are going and so I just believe that especially when you are in leadership you need to be doing all you can to have a safe a safe place and a safe space for you to be able to express yourself even if that means you join a book club that don't have nothing to do with church even if that means you join a gaming community even if that means you join a bowling league or a football league or fantasy football, whatever people do, you need to have a place where you can go and be yourself Mm -hmm. because without that, you're constantly in performance mode. You're constantly in, you know, I have to show these people that I'm this and we weren't made to live that way. Yeah. I think this makes me think of, I mean, the community I work with personally are, um, people that generally speaking, there's a mixture in there, but generally speaking are people that have radically re, um, had to redefine their faith. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. they found out that the Christianity they grew up with just doesn't, you know, doesn't work for them anymore. It's not that the answers they had to begin with aren't answers that they can recognize as true anymore. And they're exploring new concepts, new ideas of spirituality, maybe reimagining Christianity or getting rid of Christianity. And there's a whole host of different dynamics in play there. But one of the big factors that comes into play there is for most of them, that means an isolation of their community. Generally mm-hmm. speaking, people that are when either they're in that community feeling utterly alone because they can't mm-hmm. be authentic, like you're talking about, or they decide, okay, I'm going to be authentic, and they quickly find out that you're now alienated and isolated. Truly, mm-hmm. you're now utterly alone because you're not even in the church feeling alone. You're not allowed back in the church, um, mm-hmm. and those groups of people. I mean, that's the kind of advice I'm constantly giving them. Like, and it's hard in this era of like, you know, COVID and pandemic and lockdowns. Um, but I'm always saying like, you need to find some people to be your people. Go join a bowling club, go get into like board games and find a local, you know, 
I don't know, bar that those board game nights or something like, you know, like try and find something that's going to work for you, whatever that looks like. Um, join the progressive church, join whatever, you know, communities might work or, or just get some friends, you know, around you, make some friends at the gym and ask them if they want to go to the pub with you one night or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's a really hard thing to do. Um, for, for a lot of people, we just don't know how to make friends. People that grew up in the church, I find, don't know how to make friends mm -mm. Uh, because it was kind of done for us, right? Um, yeah. And so they're left in this middle ground where they have been isolated from the only community they know, but they don't know how do I even begin to create a community? Um, and that can be a really hard place. And I guess the question I was going to ask is, because I found people in that place do tend to take a real hit to their mental health. And often along with a lot of other things that are happening in deconstruction that can definitely lead to some suicidal tendencies and, and, um, and, uh, you know, thoughts, whatever that might look like. How can people that aren't going through that, you know, how can the church that has said, Hey, this obviously isn't for you anymore. How can mm -hmm. they be responding differently and, and supporting people? Cause I think a, a lot of people in the church that is saying, Oh, this person isn't Christian anymore. I kind of get that on some level. I can have a bit of sympathy for the church because they kind of need to be what they're, they're about. But mm -hmm. there's obviously a breakdown here in how they're interacting with people that are leaving family members that are watching a son deconstruct. Like how do they go about um, creating some sort of space for that person, you know, that's going through these really radical hits on their mental health and potentially you know, feeling suicidal, going through that kind of stuff. Like, how do people support their loved ones in that? Or or maybe just friends, family? So for one, this is something I learned. I started my deconstruction in 2014, and it was bad. I was like, I don't believe in any of this stuff no more. And I ain't doing none of it. And I ain't preaching. I ain't going to church. I'm going to the beach every Sunday. Leave me alone. I'm going to watch National Geographic. I'm going to figure out how old the world is. Leave me alone. And so everybody was like, Woof, you know, and um, when I started having questions, people started isolating me or like shunning mm -hmm. me, secretly de deleting me from groups and stuff. And I was just like, you know what, forget all of this. But here's something that I learned on my deconstruction journey. A lot of people aren't friends with you. They're friends with your commonality. And I liken it to a dialysis clinic. You wouldn't know all the people at the dialysis clinic if you weren't on dialysis yourself. So then you get a kidney, right? You don't have to go to dialysis anymore. The only relationship you built with these people was around being on the dialysis machine. So now you don't have to be on the machine. They're looking at you like, well, you're not one of us anymore. And in order for you to be one of them, you would have to pretend to have something that you no longer have, which could put yourself in danger and endanger your progress that you've made. So the first thing people in the church have to be honest about is, do you love me or do you love the fact that I was a Christian? Because if you don't love me, you don't need to say anything to me at all to help me anyway, because you don't love me. You need to go on back over there to greater so-and-so Baptist Catholic cathedral and love them because you didn't love me anyway. Mm -hmm. 
you love the fact that I went to Greta Baptist Catholic Cathedral of Love over there. So if you do love me, you need to be able to separate whether or not I do your thing from me mm-hmm. because I'm not your thing. I'm not, I'm a person. And so if you, if you realize that you really do love your son, your daughter, your friend, right? You need to learn about the thing that is causing them pain. So if your son is deconstructing, whether you deconstruct or not, you need to learn what the deconstruction process is and how it affects your mental health because you love your, your kid and you want your kid to be okay. You know, if yeah. if your kid is having a crisis because he feels isolated from everybody in youth group because their parents told them not to talk to him anymore. You need to love your kid enough to say, well, I'm going to put you in soccer. I'm going to put you in football. I'm going to put you in martial arts. I'm going to do something to help you. And I think a lot of people have to come to terms with the fact we're not out here loving people. We're out here loving what people have in common with us. And so sometimes you don't need to do anything with the other person. You need to do something with yourself and you need to encourage that other person to go somewhere where they are loved and where they are appreciated. Mm. Yeah. I often say this, you know, I I always, I'm fascinated by, if you look at a a very um, passionate, fundamental Christian who is friends with a non-Christian or a very passionate Republican that's friends with a passionate Democrat. I often say like, there's no more true, beautiful, mm-hmm. profound, loving relationship than those relationships where people have a strong ideology and they look beyond it and go, mm-hmm. you're my friend and I love you. And, mm-hmm. and it is, I think it's really telling when you look at the church um, broadly and you, you know, if, if a pastor is to say, all right, everyone stand up now, stay standing up. If you have a friend that, is one of your top three friends that's non-Christian. And I guarantee 99% of that room is sitting down on mm-hmm. the spot. And, mm-hmm. and that has to say something, you know, that we only have friends that are the same as us, that, that believe the same thing. You know, if you're mm-hmm. a Democrat, do you only have Democrat friends? And, you know, whatever, you know, like, I, I think that it's natural that we end up in bubbles for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but we should question ourselves. We question, oh, actually, what is our relationship here? Are we just connecting these ideologies rather than really loving people and connecting through our ideology and beyond our ideology even maybe um yeah wow so i mean you look at your deconstruction i mean like i'd love to hear about that a bit as well i mean how how did that affect you what 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 were some of the 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 blocks that kind of like you know got poked out of your jenga tower and started to cause it to to sway um and, and how did that affect you? I mean, what, what did that do to your mental health and how you process things? So I had a really, really mean pastor. And I, and I mean, this person would pray for hours on end and would treat me like crap. And I said, no, God, sir, ma'am, whatever you are in the sky, <laughs> how... Can somebody talk to you all the time, read your book all the time, and treat me so horribly? 
I need you to help me because I don't treat people bad. Where's the disconnect, right? Mm. So I started questioning stuff, like everything, like scriptures, just everything. And when I would go to people, they would get mad and say, well, you were never a believer anyway. Excuse me? So it was a good one. (laughs) So the loans that I didn't pay when I was younger because I thought Jesus was coming back at any moment that, you know, just got off my credit back then in 2014. The the torn up Bibles that I have that I done wrote all in, the prayers that I done prayed, the sermons I stayed up for hours preparing, the the fasting that I did, the going to 15,000 revivals a year. What was I doing? So I'm like, so so I was nothing because I got a question. That sounds like them little Jim Jones people mm. with the Kool-Aid because God ain't big enough for my questions. So from there, I really got mad. And then when people started to like shun me, I was like, oh no, you know what? Forget y'all. And I'm going to tell you something that, that really broke me. And this is so crazy. I went to the aquarium in South Carolina, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, um, Ripley's Believe It or Not Aquarium. And you walk in and there's this video of these crabs. And the video says that for 400 million years, like this big amount of time, these crabs have been coming to this shore, doing whatever they do, and dispersing. And I sat there and I looked at that video and I thought about it and I was like, wait a minute, for 400 million years, or however long it was, these crabs have been doing this by themselves. They just out here living, right? So I was like, something ain't right with what these people teaching me. Something, something isn't right with how we don't have a connection to nature, right? So I'm African-American, as you can clearly see. And African people have a strong connection to nature. Mm. And African people believe that the earth is our literal mother that sustains us, that keeps us, you know what I mean? And so then I was like, okay, But everything about the world and nature and and science and stuff, people say not to believe because you you have to have faith and faith is the substance of things unseen. But the things I see make sense. Mm -hmm. And what you're telling me doesn't make sense. And it's hard for me to believe that a God who can make crabs come to the same place for millions of years like clockwork would would force me to believe something that doesn't make sense, but everything else around me does make sense. That that's that's abusive. That's like me taking my kid and telling my kid a lie about his whole life, but then every single other thing in my kid's world is true. 
So I tell my kid he's blue, but everybody in the world sees he's brown. But he's supposed to believe that he's blue and not brown because I said it. That's abusive. So then I'm like, all right, this ain't going to work. So I stripped down my belief system to, I believe that there is a God. The end. I don't know. I don't know. I know it's a God. It's, it's, it's the earth. It's dirt. Everything I can see. All right, cool. And then slowly but surely, I started adding back things in the context of um, my experience as a as a black person. Because if you think about scripture, scripture is written about marginalized people, people who were in exile, people who were abused, people who whatever. And God was on the side of the marginalized person. God was on the side of Hagar. God was on the side of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. God was on the side of the woman at the well. You know what I mean? And so I began to see the whole story from a different place. And I began to understand that this concept of God is outside of me. And one day God is going to come and rescue me. God is within me. And I don't need to be rescued because any situation that I'm in, I'm strong enough and I'm powerful enough to make it through it because Christianity teaches you a whole bunch of self-degradation, even worship music. Um, I'm desperate for you. I'm, why would you be, if you believe that God is inside of your body, why would you be desperate for God? Mm. I'm not desperate for air. Yeah. I'm not yeah. desperate for food. I'm not desperate for taste buds. I'm not desperate for stomach acid. I'm 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 not desperate for my eyesight. I'm not desperate to be able to hear. Why would I be desperate for God? Oh God, we cry out to you. We want you to hear. Well, if you're in me, can can you not hear? You can't hear? You know what I mean? And so I just had to block out all of this stuff and really think that a lot of the stuff we do in the concept in the context of who we say God is. It's not logical. Mm-hmm. And so from there, I was like, God, I need you to show me what's right for me. Because I'm an individual. And I'm the only person that's going to always be with me. I'm the only person who has always been with me. There's no human being on the face of the earth who has always been and will always be with me. My grandma was with me all my life until she died. My mama has been with me all my life, but if she dies before me, she won't be with me after that. I'm going to be with me. Yeah. I'm with me 24-7. So I need you to show me how we going to interact. What are we going to do? What books are we going to read? What songs are we going to sing? Because the, the main stream of this stuff doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. But when I reframed it, in the context of everybody is trying to know God. And some people believe that the only way God can be known is in this box. Because that's the box they were put in from the time they were born, from the time they were three, four. You know what I'm saying? I'm not mad at you 
for being in the box because I get it. Sure. But I know that I don't have to be in the box. Right. Every now and then, if I want to hang out with you in the box, I'm going to knock on the door of the box. You're going to let me in. I'm going to come in the box and we're going to be in the box. But when I get ready to go, I know I have the freedom to not be in the box. So, yeah, that was it. Wow. And I had I, I had some very I tried to kill myself because I was like, I don't have any friends. Nobody loves me anymore. And coming to the realization, these people were friends with my Christianity mm. and not me. It was horrible. Because it's like you're walking away from your whole life. And and, and and you won't be well received when you come back unless you go back to being what they want you to be. And, you know, it was rough on my mental health. I had some very dark days, but it was also a very powerful and peaceful time because I did what I wanted to do. Yeah. I didn't feel trapped to, I can't say this because if I say this, people will fall away. I can't do this. I can't miss church. I can't miss Sunday school. I can't miss. I did what I wanted to do. If I wanted to go to the beach and lay on the ocean for three days, that's what I did. Because I could. Because that's the freedom that we have. And we talk about freedom, but then we put ourselves in bondage because we live in an oppressive system and we don't really understand what freedom is. And so if I had to do it over again, I would do it. Hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I think of my divorce. Wait, just when you're saying that, like I had a divorce about, I don't know how long ago anymore, six, seven years, eight years. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember. But uh, I look back on that and I go, I would not wish that on my worst enemy. But I am so thankful for that thing. That And, and, and it was like you're saying, it was this horrible, I mean, painful. I mean, I remember literally thinking it would be easier if I just died. This mm-hmm. would be better. Um, and I never, ever came close to thinking I will act on that thought, but definitely mm-hmm. thought multiple times, I wish I'd just died instead. If, instead of my wife leaving me, I wish I'd just been hit by a Mack truck and we'd be done. That would have been nicer, easier, like a, a softer hit on my ego, you know, whatever is more, more final. I don't have to see this person that's left, you know, mm-hmm. like it's just, we're done, whatever it is. But at the same time, there's this little bit of me and it was, and it felt guilty of going, it's kind of nice, though. I kind of get to do whatever yeah. I want. Wow, that's kind mm-hmm. of... I like that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyone mm-hmm. that's been married kind of knows that dynamic a little bit or in a long-term relationship. You're like, oh, wow, yeah, cool. I get to eat whatever I want tonight. That's cool. Um, or whatever, right? I get to go to the beach today. Oh, that was cool. I mm-hmm. like that. Um, and, and, and it's a weird kind of navigation, these kind of like extreme ups and downs and... Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's really hard to frame when we're trying to frame all what's going on. Why is this happening to me? What does it mean? I think a lot of my, my thoughts of this, it would be better if I was dead were linked to the fact I was so heavily involved in ministry. And I really, honestly, more than my wife doesn't want to live with me and be with me forever. She'd rather leave that hurt somewhat. If, mm-hmm. but if I'm honest, it didn't hurt the most. What hurt the most was, what will people that follow me think? Mm-hmm. What what will happen to my ministry that I spent years mm-hmm. building and trying to amass into an amazing thing? 
I have a huge ego and I want everyone to think I'm the best thing since sliced bread. People aren't <laughs> going to think that anymore, mm-hmm. right? And there's all uh-huh. this stuff going on. And I, I heard someone, I think it was a, a Zen Buddhist, and I really, it, it, it intrigued me. I don't know if it's um, a good way to put it. I don't know if it's true, but it got me thinking. And, and he was talking about suicide. And he said, the thing about suicide is that people believe they need to die. And on some level, they're true. They do uh-huh. need to die, but it's not a physical death that need to go through. It's an emotional death that need to uh-huh. go through. And and I thought about that. And and again, I'm not saying that of all people that have suicide thought. I, I'm not in a place to make any sort of statement about that. But I thought about the times that I had thought, God, I wish I would just die instead. And I was like, that's because my ego was needing to die. My uh-huh. big uh-huh. ministry that I wanted and thought was me that needed to die because that's not me. Mm-hmm. You know, the whatever it is, the person that needed to be with this person to be validated, that needed to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually letting those things die is actually what allowed me to really embrace life and be happier than I've ever been before. Um, can you talk into that kind of dynamic? Because, I mean, you said that you went through seasons of um, feeling uh, or, or you tried to take your own life, you said, right? Yeah, and, and that was in the midst of your deconstruction linked to, mm-hmm. you know, separation of community, your faith. I mean, I, I don't think it's, you know, every person that goes through this is going to go through that by any means, shape or form. But I do mm-hmm. think it's a common um, pain because there are some major deaths going on. It, it, our identities wrapped up in this. So it's not even a loss of community. It's a loss of ourselves. We don't mm-hmm. even know who we are anymore. If there's no God, then who am I? Or if God's different, well, what have I done with my life? And there's a lot of regret. There's all these different things going on. How do people, how do people navigate all these things in a healthy way? How do people not end up tangling all that into a, I need to die, you know, in a, in a physical sense? So I think you have to have um, safe deconstruction spaces. You have to find people who are on the journey with you. Um, me being an African-American, it was a little harder because a lot of, of white people aren't ready to admit that embedded into Christianity is white supremacy. And you can't deconstruct one without deconstructing the other because white supremacy is what drove Christianity to be what it is. So you you can't, you know what I mean? And so oh, that was really challenging for me. Um But, you know, I was able to navigate through that. Um, I think another thing you have to do is you have to grieve. I had to grieve the fact that I would never be a church elder. Because, you know, that's like the pinnacle. Like, You've been spending the last how many years working towards that. And Mm -hmm. someone's like, oh, I never get to do that. That's that's a huge thing to grieve. Mm -hmm. All these years of being faithful, being loyal, doing all the things, buying the clothes, doing the, and I'm not going to get what I, not that that was my motive, but in the natural progression of things, when you work at the job for 10 years and you come to work every day on time, you expect to get a promotion, you know? And so coming to terms with the fact that I would never quote, be anything in church or with church people, that was tough because I was known as a church girl. I was known as a praise and worship singer. I was known as a preacher. 
I had other stuff, but it's like I've been in church all my life. I started working in church when I was seven. Wow. I started playing the piano for the youth choir when I was seven. <laughs> so we're not talking about I've been in church two years. We're talking about I hardly know a time when I wasn't. You know what I mean? And so you you have to go through the stages of grief. Being upset, being depressed, being sad, being in denial, whatever they are, I can't remember. But you got to go through them. Um, therapy helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. Therapy... Therapy is when I when I realized that there's a trauma that comes with Christianity. Believing that at any moment you can die and go to hell is traumatic. Yeah, big time. Believing that your friend who didn't pray your prayer, who died at a young age, is in hell, and you're like 12. And your brain is still developing, that's traumatic. And so learning how to be honest about the fact that even though people can mean you well, they can still do you harm. And it doesn't mean they didn't mean you well. You know what I mean? There are two different things. You meant well and you did harm. There are two different things, you know. Coming to terms with that really helped me. And then giving myself permission to know that if all I ever believe is that there is a God and God is love, I'm good. I'm 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 good. I don't have to work to be in a particular community. I don't have to work to practice a particular religion. I don't have to work to do all these things that people say you have to do to be with God or to be loved by God or to be known by God. Because something that is, is I'm black, whether I'm mad, whether I'm happy. And so God is love, God's love, leave me alone, you know? (laughs) And so I just had to really, 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 really allow myself to grieve and then just stand up in the fact that it's okay to be who you are. And all that little, your best isn't good enough, and your your best is like filthy rags, and oh my God, and you're terrible. And da, da, da. You have to purposely let that stuff go. And when you feel it bubbling up, like when you when you have an accomplishment, right? And somebody's like, oh, you did great. And you're like, oh, that was not me. That was the Lord. No, that was you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. God was in the whole Bible telling people, I will make your name great. I'll make your name great. Now, I will make my name great with you. So then when people say you're great, you say, no, it's not me. It's God. No. It's you. And if you really believe that God created people in the image of God and the likeness of God, that means that God is manifesting on this planet as you, which means you are amazing. You are wonderful. You are powerful. You are the shiznit. You know what I mean? And I had to really drill that. And even now, I still have to drill it in my head. Like, girl, God K 
came on this planet as you. Period. Forget them people. Forget all that foolishness. God came to this world as, as you. With your personality, with your crazy ways, with your talents, with your everything, you know, and just going through the process of letting the old me die. Gone. Can't find her. Gone. And letting the new me be resurrected. And really, that's the story. When Jesus was resurrected, he was different. He had powers and abilities that he didn't have before. Mm. And the sorrow and the anguish and the turmoil that he felt in his body, he no longer had to feel because he detached himself from that state of existence and moved on to a higher plane. Mm. So even though he looked the same, he was he, he embodied something different. And so that's the process I went through. And you have to be intentional about it and you have to let yourself grieve and cry and be sad because you're you're not ever going to be the same. Even if you try to go back, it won't be the same. Yeah. That's really good. Have you read um, uh, Richard Rohr's Falling Upward? I haven't. Oh, it's, it's so good. It, it just jumped out at me in that thought, but like, he talks about the first stage of life is about, you know, building me and developing mm-hmm. me and, and figuring all that stuff out. But the second stage of life, usually sparked by some great suffering, you know, a loved one dies, someone gets cancer, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the second part of life is realizing all this stuff, you know, the the identity, the church, the all this these things I'm attached to that I think are me. What is all that? It's not me. Um, and, and letting that stuff die, letting that stuff go. And, and he talks about it as falling up. Um, but it's, it's exactly what you're talking about there. And, and it's Jesus, you know, the, the story of the cross and, and the resurrection. It's the same thing. It, it's this kind of like, it's a, it's a stepping into a, a, a whole nother plane of existence, like you said, a mm-hmm. whole nother level of consciousness. Um, and I think this is one of the things that um, the church demonizes suffering and it demonizes um depression, mental health, all these different um, uh, painful processes that we go through. And I I don't want to glorify depression, mental health, things like that, or say that these are good things. But mm-hmm. what I will say is they are certainly teachers in ways that um, having a great day just won't teach you the same lesson. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't. Um, and actually going through crazy seasons of, of being depressed, anxious, stressed, whatever it might be, um, even suicidal, that that teaches people profound things. If mm-hmm. if they are um if they are able, if they have the tools, if they have the support systems, if they have therapists, you know, whatever it is that might help them to learn mm-hmm. from that teacher, um, it can be a profound thing. You know, I, I look at my mother dying, probably the worst experience I've probably had practically in my life. Mm-hmm. But actually, I look at it as the most significant moment in my life and probably the most beautiful and important moment in my life. And I don't think I, I wouldn't be me without it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so would I wish someone's mother died? No. But do I wish them the grace that I learned through that? Is there a way that they could get that grace? God, I hope so, because I, I would mm-hmm. wish that on any human being. I would I would be so excited for them to to grow and learn in that way in their life. Um, and I think there is this 
Um, yeah, so I think there's, there's this profound opportunity in these moments of suffering that we don't find in the moments of joy and happiness. And I think the church is losing its opportunity to actually be a vehicle for change for these people rather than shutting down, hiding, ignoring. You know, these are the kind of default responses. I was reading this statistic um, the other day. I'm really fascinated what you think about it. Um, but it, it jumped out. It was, it was from, um, I think, Lifeway research and they talked about they did a, a readiness survey on suicides and i think it was i think i had it, our conversation in my mind last week and i was like oh, i'm just going to look at some different things and it and it popped up and i was like well i'll read that because it's going to be really interesting but they they asked um protestant church leaders in america do you think your church is capable of handling someone that is suicidal and and helping them and 80 percent of them said they felt comfortable dealing with someone that was suicidal um What's really interesting is um, when they were asked how many of you um, who have known someone close to you that has committed suicide, how many of you knew there was a problem? Only 40% of them even knew there was a problem. Um, and I'm really intrigued by that dynamic where they, the, the, the church seems to be quite arrogant in a sense, thinking it knows what it's Very. In fact, the other statistic I read in in line with this was that 41% of pastors have had any level of training in suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. And yet, so that jumped at me that 41% have had training, but 80% of the church go, yeah, we're good. We got this. We could totally help someone that's in this place. Um, and it feels like there's this, this real issue in the church where they're just not aware of what's going on. They're not, they're not trained to help. They're not, aware of what's going on they don't they're just burying these things they're creating environments where it can't come to the surface where it can't be dealt with can, do you, mm-hmm. can you speak to that a bit i'm sure you have lots of experience in this area and have come across people in that situation and so most of the people who come to me who are suicidal are church people let's start there um like you said church people our church leaders especially do have an arrogance and they don't have an understanding that mental illness is a real thing. They think because you can't see it, that makes it spiritual and you just pray about it. But mm. no, that's not that's not what it is. Um, the church has reinforced the stigma around mental health so bad and made it, you know, they equate it to you have a lack of faith if you don't believe in God and all that, when in all actuality, they need to take the time to educate themselves about um, what's going on. I think it's interesting when I talk to pastors, they always say, we have a good prayer ministry. And we know that God is greater than depression. Okay. But the people in your church are still depressed. (laughs) And correct me if I'm wrong, but believers have died from the coronavirus. So all of your faith over fear, all of your God is bigger than people still died, right? So let's come out of the clouds, come back down to where we live, and let's figure out what's going on because you're not a mental health professional. Yeah. When members come to you and say, my leg is broken, you pray for them, right? 
but they go to the doctor and they get a cast because without the cast, their leg is still going to be broken, right? right? You you have to get over yourself if you are a spiritual leader and quit thinking that you and your prayers are a magic potion that's going to cure depression. Mm-hmm. Jesus had a whole anxiety attack in the garden. The dude was in the garden, right? And he was so stressed out that he started sweating. Drops of blood. Now, if that's not a panic attack, I don't know what the dude was sweating drops of blood. And so if you're teaching that this stuff is going on and it never said Jesus got all right and he was happy. He just came to a resolve like, well, you know, just what I got to do tonight, you know, you know. But he won't jump in for joy. He ain't going to have no going away party with the little people. But he was still upset. He was still in agony. He was like, God, why did you leave me up here? Mm-hmm. That's despair. To say I am my father of one in one breath and then in the next breath say, God, why did you leave me? That's despair. You know what I mean? And so because a lot of times people in church are in denial about their own mental health, they can't help other people because you got to think about it. If you're a pastor and you can't show weakness, Jesus was touched with the feelings of our infirmities because Jesus also showed weakness. Mm. Jesus was crucified on the cross as the Bible says that he was, you know, however you feel about it, in front of everybody. Everybody saw his little half-naked self up there being made a mockery of. So he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he allowed himself to feel. He allowed himself to feel like we feel. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people in church leadership, to be quite honest, they don't allow themselves to feel. Because they see feeling as a sign of weakness. Mm. They see feeling as, if I show them that I feel like them, they won't respect me. If I show them that I get sad too, they won't look up to me anymore. Mm. I won't be pastor with the Superman cape on. If I show them that I went through three months of depression when my mama died. So I got to pretend that I was good because I got to be super pastor. I got to pretend that I'm okay. So then, of course, when I come to you, super pastor, and I have the issue, you don't even have the ability to be touched by how I feel because you shut that part of yourself down. Mm. So you just think, oh, that's nothing. We're going to take you to the altar and you're going to be okay. Because people who have shut down their emotions can't be sensitive to other people's emotions. Yeah. So no, I think- it kills empathy, right? Mm-hmm. There is mm-hmm. no empathy where you you, 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 mm-hmm. you can't understand what someone's feeling if you don't feel it. Cannot. And so I think when it comes to church leadership, you don't just have to be honest about how you help suicidal people. You have to first be honest with yourself and the feelings that you're out here having all the time. And then after that, you have to admit the pastor was never designed to be the end-all, be-all. Mm-hmm. 
in the book of Acts, the Bible says, and they had all things common. They had all things common, right? So you're, you, you have to learn as a leader to tap into the resources that are around you because you're not the only resource. I know you may want to be because it's job security and it makes you feel good when you go home that everybody is worshiping your holy name, whatever, right? But you're you're not you're not you're not equipped to to be everything to people and downplaying mental illness is one of the most ungodly things you could do. Yeah. Elijah was like, God, I want you to take my life right now. Bruh, I want you to come and I want you to rapture me up or whatever you're going to do with the whirlwind or however you're going to do it. I want you to do it right now. Not when I'm done, but right now. You know what I'm saying? We have to be honest about the fact that this is a part of life. And you don't just wish it away with your three scriptures and a prayer, you know? And so I think there's just a level of honesty that people in the church need to come to, period. And if they do that and they understand we are mere human, from the bishop on down to the person that sleeps the floor, we are human. You know what I mean? It'll help them to not be so dismissive of mental illnesses and mental issues. And it'll help them to see, wait a minute, this is a real thing. You know, and a lot of them, like I said, they have mental issues. But I can't validate yours and then pretend mine isn't real. Because if I give a voice to yours, when I get home, how am I going to deal with mine? You get what I'm saying? And so, yeah, yeah, they got to be honest. I I feel like there's a, a complication in the whole discussion with this kind of extreme black and whiteism as well where you're either perfectly well or completely like you know screwed and gone asunder your chronic Mm -hmm. depression and suicidal but it it feels like on some level i mean our mental health like our physical health is a a great big spectrum some days Mm -hmm. i'm a bit run down with a cold you know whatever it is and some days i get a little low uh, there's not as much pip in me and I don't know maybe it's because I'm thinking about something that happened the other day that made, like and it really hurt and it upset me and I've not really processed it consciously yet but it's just it's it's simmering and I just don't mm-hmm. feel that great but after a couple of days even if I don't deal with it I'm probably going to be back up and running and, and fine yeah but other days I break my leg and I'm not going to be walking well for like six months <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, and I might need some help and some rehabilitation um yep. and, and then there are people that have you know like um chronic chronic pain whatever mm-hmm. that is and that might be a, a chronic depression or something but like there, there is this grand spectrum that i think we're not recognized when we don't recognize look we all have ups we all have downs we don't need to then categorize every up as like oh good jesus moment and that's you as a good christian and then every down is definitely the devil's attacking you're wrong you're broken you're whatever and then we categorize them in these two extreme camps you know it's not mm-hmm. just a Oh, you're having a slightly up day, slightly down day. That's happening. You know, we're, we're variations. Things happen to us. We move one way. We come another way. Like, I feel like there, there needs to be a, a normalization of how we respond to our emotions, how we 
trauma comes up and we go, oh gosh, I never noticed that before. This is going to be an interesting few weeks while I work on this, you know, or whatever, yeah, months yeah. or years, who knows? <laughs> Some trauma is yeah. quite deep. Um, but that's that should be normal uh, mm-hmm. or at least normalized, hopefully. Yeah, um, and I mean, your brain is an organ. Like your brain isn't some magical, mystical ball of dust in your head. It's an organ like your stomach. So you know how sometimes your stomach is queasy and nothing is really wrong. Your stomach is just being funny today. And you're like, oh, my stomach is kind of. And then the next day you're good. But then sometimes you have a stomach virus and you ain't good. You got to figure it out. Or you may have stomach ulcers or you may eat the wrong thing and get food poisoning. You know what I'm saying? Your brain is the same way. When you go through a trauma, it changes your brain. It changes your chemical balance. It changes the way your brain functions. And I think sometimes we forget the same way your little bubbly stomach is the up and down of life. Sometimes your bones ache. Sometimes you sleep wrong. Your neck feels funny. Your brain is the same way. Like it's not some mystical, magical spectrum of life from an alternate universe. It's it's a part of your body like every other part of your body. And I think in the church and in the world, we overcomplicate it when it's, it's not that deep. Like if I say to you, how are you doing today? And you say, well, my stomach is a little... I'm like, oh, well, maybe you need some ginger ale or something. And I'm going to move on. I'm not going to make you feel like you're a bad Christian because <laughs> you got the bubble guts. I mean, you got the bubble guts. It'll be okay, you know. But when it comes to mental health, like you said, it's so extreme. Like, you need to have faith. No, I have the bubble guts in my brain. And if I take a nap, my brain will calm down and I'll be okay. Yeah. It does. It feels like, I mean, I've, I've been in a lot of different churches over my years, just as a, as a member, as a part of it. Mm-hmm. And, and quite a few of them, you're in there, you're on Sunday morning, you, service is over, you start talking to people over tea and coffee and cookies or whatever. And it's a, hey, how are you? And everyone's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. good. It's great, you know, and then goes home to weep for eight hours or whatever, yeah. you know, like, or maybe not quite that extreme, but some people are. And, and some people are just yeah. going home a bit like, oh, actually, I was a bit down. And I wish someone had asked the right question or mm-hmm. dug deeper or whatever. But, but there was an element where they felt they could only say fine. They, they didn't feel because that's the expectation. Say, Actually, I'm not doing that great. I'm having a real rough yeah. week or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's really really. Um, it's it's just one of these things that it just feels a very toxic component within mm-hmm. how we have structured our, our our faith and for a lot of people and, and some churches I'm sure that do this amazingly. I have no doubt. Yeah. Um, but but it does feel broadly as a structure, certainly anecdotally from my experience that and the experience of people talking to me that that has been their experience you you mentioned when you were going through your deconstruction there were certain things that um certain beliefs that were specifically very toxic in um how it then affected your your mental health certain things that were maybe more triggering in you wanting to to kill yourself or things like Mm -hmm. that what what do you think are some of the you know if i was to say like what are the top three, four, five beliefs that kind of are quite common within Christianity that really damage our faith, that, that, that really need to change. If, if the church is going to see a breakthrough in, in helping people have a healthy mental health and believing in God and following Jesus, whatever that looks like, 
what needs to change? What, what, what beliefs are just really not compatible with being a healthy whole human in your opinion? Um, number one, that God is outside of us. Um, God is not outside of us. So like, you know, we say, I pray to God as if God is like, um, that's very damaging because when I was in deconstruction, I was like, God, where are you? Like, where are you? I don't feel you with me. Where are you? Um, instead Praise of God realizing, that's coming and going constantly mm-hmm. based on our behavior. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like today I'm with you, but girl, you use profanity? No, ma'am. Goodbye. You got to get me back. You got to go to church and cry and then I'll come back. Like, so I had to totally get rid of that. Um, not trusting myself um, was a big one. You know, people say lean not to your own understanding and you're not supposed to trust your feelings and you're not supposed to trust yourself because then your flesh dwells no good thing. Well, Paul didn't say in my flesh dwells no. He said in his flesh. That that was his issue that he had going on over there in wherever he was at with all them churches writing all them letters. That was him. That didn't have nothing to do with me. So I don't have to take on all of Paul's issues. All of that when I would do good and I don't and sometimes I want to and then I don't and sometimes I can't. I don't have to take that on. That was him telling his story. I don't have to make that apply to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm a good person. Full stop. I'm a great, I'm a great person. Whether I'm in church or out of church, whether I'm preaching or coloring with my God, baby, I'm an amazing person. Um, There's been a lot of research in that as well. I I remember um, there's a big deal a couple of years ago. Do you remember the girl with a eating disorder that wrote to John Piper? Do you you remember that? He wrote back and basically was like, well, of course you have an eating disorder because you're sinful and a piece of crap. And, and, and it was like, Oh my God. But I remember reading a response, like a public response from um, uh, a chartered clinical uh, psychologist. um, Really? Hey, here's some data for your ass, John. And just dropped research paper after research paper that said you're, flavor of christianity is why people are ill and she dropped like these really interesting um papers Uh, i'll try and i'll google it and i'll send you a link afterwards remind me if i don't because i might forget because it's going to be like two o'clock in the morning by the time i'm done i might go to bed (laughs) um but remind me because i think you'll find it interesting but he she dropped these links to these articles i remember reading from and, and and it specifically said when you compare forms of christianity that teach you are a filthy rotten sinner just a worm an ant and you know spider dangling over hell that kind of idea when you compare that form of christianity with christianities that teach you are a good healthy beautiful creation in the image of god the mental health differences are night and day depression Mm -hmm. changes eating disorders change whatever it is there's a there's a significant gap between these two types of christianity and I was like, oh, that is profound. So so just, I, I guess just to encourage like people listening in, that, that second point, I know, I'm sure there's probably data on a lot of these because religion and mental health is studied quite a bit. But that second point, I've read specific things saying, if you teach people that they're filthy, rotten sinners, it will have a negative effect, which we shouldn't be surprised by, right? I mean, that feels fairly obvious, actually, if mm-hmm. we just take a step back and look at it and go, 
yeah, of course people feel crap if you teach them they're crap. Like, mm-hmm. it's crazy, especially combined with that first one, right? God yeah. needs you to be good, to be mm-hmm. with you. Otherwise, he's away from you. By the way, you're not good. Oh, thanks. So he's always away. And then I can just occasionally close the gap by being really good. Great. Sometimes, possibly. But then when you have people in abusive relationships and you you wonder why they stay. And it's like you, you taught them that God was an abuser. Mm. You taught them that God withholds himself from you until you perform and beg and plead and beg him to show up with you, but then he's not going to stay because this is just a visitation from him. And then he's going to go back over there and not like you or not be with Mm. you or not pay you any attention until you bed him again. And that's why so many relationships mirror that in Christianity, because that's, that's the way, you know, people, um, portray God and then this is the biggest one (sighs) (laughs) when I found out that I don't have to live by every word in the Bible like when I found out that the Bible was constructed a particular way, right? And I found out that a lot of the stuff that was said wasn't said to me. It was said to a specific group of people in a specific time. And I could use that as a way to relate to God, but I didn't have to make that my life. Like the letters in the New Testament were Paul's mail. So that's like if I read your emails to your next podcast guest, and then I base my whole life off your emails. I don't know what that person said to you. I don't know how long y'all been emailing. I don't know who y'all talking about. But because you said in your email, we should eat cake at three o'clock every day for the rest of my life, I eat cake at three (laughs) o'clock. To be fair, that sounds pretty good. I take that out of context. (laughs) So when I found out that I could engage with scripture for what it was, and that didn't mean that I literally had to do what the people did, I was like, oh. So I'm actually okay. So I don't have to live in turmoil of I always want to do good, but then I don't. But then it's not me doing bad. It's the sin doing bad. But then but I don't, I can just be a good person. I don't have to live in depravity. I don't have to believe that every single good thing about me, the best of me, is equated to a filthy rag. I don't have to take that on and embody that in my life. I can go to God and present God my good stuff and God will be like, girl, this is really good. Mm. And not cast me away and make me feel like nothing. That did it for me. I was like, I got it. And people, people don't understand 
how liberating it is. And see, here's the thing. People like to be punitive. And they like to know that somebody else is being punished. And in Christianity, there's such a polarization. God or the devil. And if it's not God, it's the devil. And if it's not light, it's dark. Well, maybe it's dusk. Because <laughs> at dusk, it's kind of dark and it's kind of light. Maybe it's dawn, because at dawn, it's kind of dark, but it's kind of light too. You know what I mean? And so just realizing that everything didn't have to be so boom and boom, and some stuff mm-hmm. could just be, I don't know what this is, whatever, you know, that that was that was the most liberating thing ever. Yeah. Wow. If it's, I think once you once you knock over that totem pole, all the other um, things on the table that we're scared to question, we suddenly can go, oh, of course I can look at that now. And actually the Bible might even inform me because I can read the Bible differently and open, differently. in a more open way. Um, it's not even necessarily most people that um, start deconstructing and, and questioning the Bible aren't actually throwing the Bible out. They're just learning mm-hmm. how to approach the Bible differently. They still often very much value it. Um, I know some people don't, but that, 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 it's not the most common position. Um, yeah. But it does it does mean that suddenly the the past that screamed at your whole life, well, how is that? That's just the way it works. If you don't say the prayer, you go to hell and that's the way it is. Well, once you start to go, oh, there's different ways to look at the Bible, you suddenly start reading those passages every time it mentions hell in the English and you start going, well, what does it mean in the Greek? What does it mean in mm-hmm. Hebrew? Oh, and who were those people and what was the context and why did he say that? And uh, it doesn't actually say a lot of the things my pastor said. Um, so right. we can start to read that in a new way that we just didn't have the freedom to do when mm-hmm. we were, we just assumed the, the scripture was black and white. There's no gray. And my pastor yep. tells me what's black or what's white or, and, and, and that's it. I just yep. have to live with that. Um, mm-hmm. It's a huge, huge one that, that crumbles. Wow. Yeah. 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 They changed yeah. everything for me. Just being like, oh, I can really live my life. Mm. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to be a, a slave. Because, you know, Paul was really big on, I'm a bond servant. Right. And he was a bond servant. <laughs> You know, but that doesn't mean I have to be in literal slavery to God. And every time there's a church service, I have to go and I have to read my Bible 12 hours a day and I have to pray for three hours. And I I can be myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can have casual conversations with God like, yo, I'm about to get on this podcast. I don't know how it's going to go. I need you to help me. That's it. Ain't got to say, precious father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you right now. I could just talk. You know what I mean? It it changed. If I've never been the same since. I've been out here chilling. And I don't feel like I'm going to hell. Because I ain't out here telling people to pray. I don't even know the, the prayer. And you, Father, I'm a sinner. And I, you know, I don't even remember it. But because, you know, you got to get your body count. Like, you got to mm-hmm. go out here and tell these people, and they got to say these words, because if they don't, they're going to burn forever, and it's going to be your fault, because you saw them at the grocery store, and you, you mean to tell me I don't have to live under the pressure of always asking the cashier at Walmart if she knows the Lord? You mean to tell me I could just be nice to the cashier at Walmart? Just, just be nice to her, and then I can go on with my day? I'm not responsible for 
whether or not she goes to heaven or hell. Mm. You know what I mean? Just just Huge. freeing myself because literally that's how they make you feel. That cashier at Walmart could walk out of there and die, and you had the opportunity to minister to her, and you didn't. So then I'm responsible for, for whether or not, bloody at Walmart, I just needed some eggs, right? Because right. I was going to make an omelet. So now I'm sitting here like, I didn't get the lady to pray the prayer. She could go outside, have a car accident, die, and go to hell. Because I didn't. It's too much pressure. Well, and where do you stop, right? Because what about the woman that was standing behind you waiting for you to, you should probably go and ask her if she knows Jesus. And then what about the the, the, the person at the till that you're, you, there's a person at the till you're not even at, the next one along. What if they don't know Jesus, right? And and what about the, the person in the in the parking lot collecting the trolleys? I mean, I'm not near him, but I could go over and talk to him. And then there's a car driving by. Maybe I should stop that car. And I mean, where does that end, right? Because on some level, if we really believe this, I mean, we would be, right? I mean, we would be running after every single person going, please get saved. Please and get saved. It, it shows this weird dynamic where on some level, we don't really believe it. And I don't think we ever right. did. And on right. another level, we do believe it and we torment yep. ourselves with it, right? We kind of live in that, the gray between those two extremes probably as well. Yep. Um, it's it's really harrowing. And I guess, did you, did you go through... Um, did you go through a season where you you were panicking, where you were, oh God, what if I am wrong? What if I do go to hell for this stuff? Like you, you talk about how you, you felt free from that, but was there a season in the between those two kind of like extreme positions where you were like, I kind of don't believe that stuff. I think God's better than that. But also a kind of nagging thing of like, actually, what if the pastor is right? And I'm going to really hurt for this one. <laughs> no. Yeah. You just and a lot of people like, do. A lot of people do. Right. Mm. But I didn't. I, once I backed away from everything, and the scripture that will always stand out with me is, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts away fear. Perfect love casts out all fear, right? Mm. So if God loves me, and God unconditionally loves me, right? David said, if I make my bed in hell, meaning if I'm intentionally in a place and I set up shop, right? You're going to be with me. Mm. So there's nowhere I can go that you're not there. So in my quest for the truth, if you're not going to help me find the truth, I'm lost anyway. So I had to depend on God, whatever that is, is going to help me to know the truth. And the truth will make me free. Hmm. And so in order for the truth to make me free, I can't be afraid. And I can't go back to the whole be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I can't go back to feeling like God is this other thing. It's kind of like if you have a kid and you're teaching your kid how to ride the bike, right? Kid on the bike. The kid either has to trust that you're his dad 
and you're not going to let him fall. Or the kid thinks that you're going to at any minute sling him out into oncoming traffic and kill him. Right? When that kid steps on that bike, he got to be like, okay, my daddy got me and I'm going to keep pedaling. And the more he pedals and he sees that you ain't slung him out on the oncoming traffic, it becomes second nature. He don't even think about it. You get what I'm saying? So once I reframed my concept of God as the dad, and I say dad loosely because I don't believe that God is a man. That's a whole other story. But the dad who is helping me on the bike, you know, I can't believe that you're my dad who loves me and believe that you're going to fling me out. And I got to pick one. And so I picked one and I went with it. And I, I haven't been scared of going to hell. I haven't been like I just haven't because I picked the, the dad, the nice dad. Sure. And I know some people do, some people, because mm. again, the trauma of it all. And when you go through a trauma, your body is going to do your reptilian brain is going to do all it can to keep you safe. But because I went to therapy, you know what I'm saying? A lot of those yeah. trauma yeah. responses I didn't have. So I'm not saying you won't because you probably will because it's a trauma response. Like, oh my God, I'm going to go to hell because, you know, but you got to push through it. You know, you got to, you got to, you got to find what your truth is and how you're going to relate to God. And it's different for each person. And that's fine. I think it should be. I think yeah. if God who created everything could be confined to a collection of 66 books, that would be a horrible in, in all of these years that we've been here. In, in, what's this, 2020? Mm-hmm. So, like, over 2,000 years ago, God stopped. <laughs> like, that was it. Yeah. Just, we just going to roll with this forever, you know? That would be kind of crazy, you know? And so, I, I just feel like God is bigger than any one person or one book or one anything's experience of God. And you should always be trying to experience something different. Yeah. That's beautiful. I absolutely love it. I love it. And it makes me feel a little bit more sane because I talk to people day in, day out that are going through these kind of things. And it's a very common thing for people to go through these very um, traumatic experiences, fears, you know, worries, um, live with that. I, I never had that either myself. I kind of was just like, yeah, I'm good. Um, and yeah. I often think, am I just a psychopath? I don't know. Mm-mm. So at least if I am, maybe there's two of us. So, but, uh, <laughs> but I do think it's, I do think it's normal, you know, um, mm-hmm. different, different people's responses are going to be different because they're different people. They have different trauma. They've got different experiences. They've got different support structures, different psychological makeup of, of decades of living certain ways and being around certain people and all that. And honestly, as I look back over my life, I never really believed in hell anyway. Like in the in the back of my mind, I was just like, you were telling me this dude just gonna let people burn up. Like if if you're on fire, how do you not burn like how do you not burn up? I mean it 
in in the back of my head, it, it just was never logical to me. So I think that has a lot to do with why I didn't really fear it. Cause it, mm-hmm. it never made sense to me. Like what what would be the point? Yeah. yeah. Like if you're in heaven with all the good thing. people, yeah, like why would you it just didn't seem on any level compatible with with love with even even if you take love off the table and you just go hard justice right which is it seems that's what a lot of christians go for but even even if you go for a punitive type of justice because there's restorative forms and things like that but if you just go for punitive even a god says if you kill someone that means you get killed well you can't do that for eternity you have to kill them or even if uh, okay we won't kill you we'll torture you for what? Like, what point is it? Is it to be punished for something? It's not punishment when you're 20 trillion years in, right? And you're getting punished for your, I don't know, cheating the taxes um, and not saying a prayer. And then it's like, all right, has Steve had enough? God's like, nope, let's keep doing this for another 20 trillion years and I'll check in. Like, at a certain point, God's just a bit of a dick, right? <laughs> like, I mean, he's not, he's not punishing this. He's, he's like getting off on it. It's, it's weird. It's, it's just like, this is not punitive. This is vindictive. It's, it's yeah. unhealthy. To me, I'm like, that just seems crazy. It always kind of did on some level, but everyone I asked would just be like, well, that's the way it is. So stop asking questions. So. Yeah, because you're going to go to hell if you keep asking. <laughs> right. It's, it's a weird thing. So but I don't really believe in that, but well, you're going to go there. And I'm like, I, I mm-hmm. know, but I don't really believe in <laughs> It's a yeah. weird one. Really, really weird. Because. Thank you so, so much um, for coming on. I want to be really uh, sensitive to our time. um, But if people want to track with you, if they want to follow what you're doing, make use of the different resources that you're putting out. I know you you do different things. You coach. You do amazing stuff in helping people that are going through, um, you know, suicide prevention stuff that you you do. But you also do great empowerment and stuff. Um, What's the best way people can track with you and get access to those kind of resources? I live on Instagram. My Instagram is my name, N-A-K-O-L-E-W-A-T-S-O-N. So um, people can follow me on Instagram. I also have a website, my name, NicoleWatson.com. And yeah, that's where I hang out in these internet streets. And what are some of the things that you offer, like that people might be interested in? Give, Give us a little breakdown of some of the stuff that you do. So I have a masterclass called I Love God, But I Hate My Life. I have um, a safety plan for people. So like if you have a loved one who is suicidal or who deals with like mental health challenges, I have a safety plan that you can download and fill out with them. So like if they are depressed and they get missing one day, you'll know where they likely went. They'll have people to call and stuff. It's really amazing. So I have that. Mm. I have um, the ultimate suicide prevention guide, which I wrote. It is a comprehensive suicide prevention resource guide. And it also has video courses. Um, I have a suicide prevention devotional called I Speak Life. Um, Let's see, I have free mental health resources for women of color. And I just have a bunch of stuff. I have a suicide and social media um, online course, just lots of stuff. all sounds amazing and i'm sure there's plenty of people listening to this going gosh yes um i need that so i'll put all the links to those things in the show notes on youtube below or in your podcast on your app do check those things out um i, I really appreciate you taking the time can i ask one last question I, i'm sure. really intrigued you talked about when you were deconstructing 
and you were talking about the component of deconstruction without decolonizing. And uh, um, a lot of uh, people that are deconstructing, in my experience, I, I've come across this, like I, I say this often, I ask frequently, who do people want on my podcast? And I, I, the first time I did it, I was overwhelmed when I started to look at the data and I had about a hundred names people gave me and said, oh, could you do this and this and this? And some of them obviously got mentioned a lot, some maybe just a little bit. I went through those hundred names and I looked at how it broke down. And of the hundred names, 12 were women. Of the hundred names, wow. two were not white. Two. Mm. Um, yeah. and, and I understand that I'm in a bubble. I'm white. I probably attract white people to me more than I might mm-hmm. attract a black indigenous person of color or something um, outside of my race. Um, so I do understand there's a bubble component to any of these things. But I'm really interested in who were some people or who are some people now maybe for you that you've since discovered that are black, indigenous, person of color um, that have been helpful for you in your deconstruction? Because I would love to, first of all, for me, I'd love to connect with them. I'd love to talk with them. I'd love to engage with them. But I know a lot of people um, listening to my podcast, watching my podcast, when they see I have someone that isn't white, they get excited because they're like, oh, he found someone to talk to. <laughs> and and I, I go out of my way to find people in this space Um that are talking about deconstruction, that are talking about different um, specialities within the framework of deconstruction. And and I find it very hard to find people uh, myself personally. Um, and so I'm really interested if, if you have some uh, names that people can check out that you recommend. I have one name. Okay. And this person, because when I first started, I was like, this, this ain't it for me. Like, if you're not going to talk about white supremacy, you're not helping me. Cause I'm black out here, right? Mm-hmm. So Joe Lumen, Lumen, yes, listen, love Joe, changed my life. Like just to see somebody who understands that white supremacy is at the root of things. And you can acknowledge white supremacy without saying you're a bad person. Mm -hmm. You can say, I'm a white man and white supremacy is bad. That doesn't make you bad. It doesn't make white people bad. It makes white supremacy bad. So seeing her work validated me like, I'm really not crazy out here. Yeah. Because I would get in deconstruction groups and I love them. I love all the people out here doing the deconstruction work and the ex-evangelicalism and the whatever you want to call it, right? But I can only go so far with them because I'm like, but y'all not talking about colonization. Yeah, You're just becoming a, a, a different type of what you live because you're not getting to the root of the problem and the root of the problem is colonization and so you went and created another colony it was just a different because you didn't deconstruct colonization so you don't know that that's what you're doing yeah Yeah. it's like people who are addicted to crack and they get off crack and they get addicted to heroin because they were so busy worrying about crack they forgot you're an addict. 
Mm-hmm. So if you get rid of crack, but you don't get rid of your addiction, you're going to be addicted to something else. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, Joe, that's it. I love Joe. Joe is everything. I, I hear you. I, I I say again and again and again, she's one of my favorite people out there, mm-hmm. periods, doing anything and someone that cuts me deep frequently. And I, I need that in my life. And mm-hmm. as a white male European, like I check like every box there is on privilege, maybe a few somewhere that I don't check, like, but mm-hmm. I am doing well on privilege and learning gosh, I am so sexist. Gosh, I am so racist. Not, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the difference between impact and intent. I'm intentionally sexist or racist. I think I have been in the past, Mm -hmm. but certainly growing to the point where I'm certainly not intentionally those things, but I certainly am still in my impact sometimes those things. And I go, gosh, how can I help? Even talking about, you know, who do I have on my podcast? And I'm going, gosh, my podcast it could be more anti-racist. I could be mm-hmm. really, and I could be more intentional. I could really cut apart a big chunk of my week and go, okay, let's give a two, three hours to really researching. I could message every person of color that follows me. I could say, hey, do you, who do you follow? Who could, you know, I could be more intentional. And so you go, yeah, nope, still not that much of a driving force for me. And so interesting, those kind of things that Joe kind of brings at me. Sorry, go for it. I just thought of someone else. Okay, yes. Candice Bimbo. How do you say Candice? Um, her first name is C A N D I C E, and her last name is B E N as in Nancy B O W. So she is a womanist theologian, I guess you would say, and she does a lot of work um, with deconstruction in terms of like the black church, but her views about um, God and marriage and just God being with the oppressed people and just getting rid of patriarchy and misogyny and the concept of soul ties that when you sleep with somebody, their soul is in your soul or what, what, I don't know how it goes, but you know, she is amazing. Wow. Okay. Awesome. I'm going to check her out. Is she out on Instagram somewhere? She is. Yep. Yes. She's on okay, IG. Good. She's writing a book. That's, that's where I live. So uh, as soon as someone's on Instagram, I'm like, great. I'm going to really track them. As soon as they start being on Facebook or Twitter, I'm like, oh, no. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so that's great. She's to hear. amazing. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate you, you helping with that as well, because no I'm constantly trying to be like, okay, how can I grow in this area? And how can, how can, how can I expose people and, and also ensure that, um, people that are going to gravitate, you know, gravitate to, oh, there's a white guy. I'm going to listen to that podcast. I want the person that, that that's their default, maybe subconscious thought. I want them to be exposed to different voices as well. Yeah, so for sure. Huge. So for I, sure. I appreciate, I, I appreciate you making time to, to, to have this conversation with me. And, Likewise. And such a great work that you do to help people that are going through what is ultimately one of the hardest things that anyone can navigate and go through and, and to dedicate your life to helping people in that place, to creating resources, to coming alongside people, to raising awareness. It's such a beautiful and deeply Christ-like work. You know, it, it's you. incredible work. And so I appreciate you very Thank much. You. Likewise. Thank you. Likewise. All that you're doing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll let you know when this comes out. Um, I'm not sure when it'll be. It'll probably be next week, actually, because I'm starting to run out of... Ep- I usually have a big backlog, 
and, and I'm running out. So I think you're going to be fairly soon, actually. Um, so, <sighs> okay. And we can talk about that and, and when it comes out and, and what it looks like though. And uh, yeah, I'll keep you posted for sure. Thank you. All right. Well, it was great to meet you. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you. Later. Have a good All night right. or morning. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I'm going to head to bed. So yeah. Okay. Thanks, later, Nicole. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. All right. So that was Nicole Watson. Um, I'd encourage you to check out her stuff, honestly, if, if any of that stuff resonated with you, if you feel like you need to engage with that a bit more, if you're struggling, um, please, you know, make sure you get help. This world, as we discussed at the beginning, we need more and more people um, in this world who are people that are full of love and full of inclusivity. And, and you know, we all struggle. I've been struggling a lot the last couple of months with my mental health um, and, and not horrifically, but it's, it's enough to be, ugh, you know wading through wading through quicksand um and and you know there's no shame in that there's no shame in struggling there's no shame in um being in pain being being suffering feeling like you're just a bit disassociated disconnected from the world that's you know it's not okay and it's okay you know um it's it's okay we all we all um can feel like that and and some of us you know feel like that a lot more we've got a lot of different stuff going on different stories different bodies different lives um it's not okay, you know. We, we, there's people out there that want to help you, that want you to feel better and and do better. And and um, I know I appreciate how many people have tried to help me in in different ways when I've been struggling, and 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 it has helped in a lot of ways. And sometimes it's no help, and I get that. But even the fact that they tried that can be a big help. But yeah, please, you know, reach out, get help, contact uh, Nicole. I know she'd love to connect with you and love to help in any way she could. Um, if if you, if you want just someone to talk to feel free to message me. I'm on Instagram. It's just Phil Drysdale. But if you want to connect with Nicole and, and, and all that she's doing, I encourage you to check out Nicole Watson. It's N-A-K-O-L-E Watson.com. Um, or her Instagram is uh, Nicole Watson. So uh, yeah, N-A-K-O-L-E. Um, I'll put links to those in the show notes. Um, like she mentioned, she's got lots of great stuff going on, lots of different um, resources out there that you can connect with. Um, so please do check those out Um, as always if you're feeling disconnected a bit lonely in this process do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com it's a free resource um, helps you connect to other people that are deconstructing in your local area um, really can take the edge off what is a really lonely journey Um, just having a couple people in your area that you can connect with changes everything um, just helps you feel a lot less alone and so check that out thedeconstructionnetwork.com and uh, if you want to support what I'm doing, everything I'm doing is free, um, you know, from talking to people, from putting out these podcasts and other resources, everything I'm doing, um, I do it for free. That's never going to change, um, but it is a full-time job. And uh, if you'd like to help me with that, um, you can do that over on my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash phildrysdale or at phildrysdale.com slash partner. Either one will uh, give you options to help me out. Um, if you do that, a thank you. Um, I'll give you full access to um, a private discussion group we've got where we have amazing discussions and um, it's just a safe place where people can process and connect. Um, and as well, we do a monthly Zoom call. In fact, we're going to be probably doing a monthly Zoom call this week. And so if you get on it, you might be able to jump in on that. Um, and there's a few other perks as well, some um, you know, Skypes and things like that, depending on um, if you're able to give a bit more. Um, but yeah, there's never any requirement to give, but it, it does help a lot. It helps a lot. It helps me uh, pay the bills and maybe eat a little nicer food, uh, me and my wife. And so 
Um, it's all appreciated if you, if you are able and, and, and desire to do so. All right, that's enough from me. Please, as I said at the beginning, if you need someone to talk to, reach out and, and I'm happy to process what's going on, your journey. Um, and yeah, do connect with Nicole if, if you're struggling as well. I, I really appreciate um, every one of you so much. I, I love every one of you guys. I'm proud of the, the, the journey that you're all going on um, of this deconstruction. It is not easy. It is not easy at all. And I'm really proud of every one of you. Love you guys. I'll catch you later. Peace.